This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. On this cold December morning, we are joined by Michelle MP, who is in sunny, 28 degrees sunny, Zimbabwe. So welcome, Michelle. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. I really, really appreciate you guys having me here. Um, It feels very surreal having been, you know, an avid listener to your podcast and then to actually be talking on it. Um, So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Michelle, we'll start off with a question that we ask everyone. In my head then was, what's your name and where do you come from? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Scylla Black. Laura, do you want to pop out that? Do you want to? We, we run courses, basically. Um, in a yeah. first introductory Zoom session that we have, we always do like, what's your name and where do you come from? And Laura, okay. without fail, does her Scylla Black impression. So go on. Yeah, but it's not really Scylla Black. It's more like someone from Birmingham. But I'm going to try. Ready? Okay, go on, go on. Okay. Channel, channel Scylla. What's your... What? <laughs> What's your name and where'd you come from? No, that's 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 Birmingham. Yeah, I'm all right. I think it's better, it's better than you've done in the past, believe me. Oh, thanks. I think it was I'm part. impressed with you for trying because yeah, <laughs> yeah impression is tough. Thanks. Um, anyway, so my name is... actually we, yeah, so sorry, that wasn't the relevant question. We just want to know, Michelle, um, how you came to join the Worst Girl Gang. So if you could talk us through your experience. Yeah, sure. Um so I had a very early miscarriage, probably as straightforward as miscarriages go in um, end of June, July 2021. So a couple of years now, but I'm sure, as you guys know, and everyone else knows, um, it's it's a process and it's something that you carry with you. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing probably for the rest of my life, um, especially as me and my husband are thinking about starting a family now. Um, so we found out that um, I was pregnant. We weren't planning on starting a family. It was quite a surprise. Um, we were still living a very, um, what I'll call an irresponsible lifestyle, like we still are, traveling a lot. Um, we didn't have any plans to settle down just yet. Um, But, you know, love and passion happens at all times of the day. (laughs) And um, yeah, I found out that I was pregnant. So um, my profession is as a midwife. 
and I was working a shift on the maternity assessment unit. It was a long day, um, 12 hour shift, and we had been super, super busy. So I hadn't even noticed that um, I had missed my period. My cycle's really regular and I track my cycle. So I'm usually really um, you know, on the ball with what's going on. Um, and I didn't get my period and I didn't um, get any sort of PMS symptoms. And I, I had had a couple of cups of tea that week and I was like, please taste strange um you know that metallic taste that some people get mm. I got home took a pregnancy test and didn't even have to wait straight away it was positive um I remember running into the kitchen waving waving the test strip in the air because even though it was a surprise it was I don't know I just remember feeling so so happy um and my partner he's my fiance at the time now husband um you know we were both super chuffed unexpected but very welcome news um and we were kind of like okay what do we do now we'll just eat dinner and go back to life as usual like it's such a such a big deal to find out that news and then just go to your your normal daily routines um but it's as soon as as soon as you see those two lines it, it was for me anyways we started planning life immediately you know oh my gosh I want a home birth we need to get a bigger flat and are we going to tell friends and family and when will we tell them? Yeah. And as a midwife, Michelle, did you at that point, did you consider that anything might go wrong? No, no, I didn't. Um, you know, like you say, as a midwife, I knew I knew about the statistics and I cared for a lot of people where you you know, you, re you receive someone who you're going to care for in labor and you, f you flip through their notes and you can see their history and if they've had a miscarriage or not, or if you take a history at their booking appointment. So even though I had been um, in touch with that reality very often, I never thought that's going to happen to me. But then I suppose you never do with everything in life. You know, things happen to people around you and you never consider that you could be someone that that could happen to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. yeah, And isn't that, I think that's crazy in a way, because the statistic, as you say, is so high, you know, one in four pregnancies end in loss. And yet none of us seem to think that it will be us unless we have <clears throat> pre-existing conditions or we've sadly already suffered a loss. We just don't expect it, do we? No, we don't. And I, I mean, maybe that's, you know, a, a survival instinct in a way, because I think we'd all live quite unhappy and anxious lives if we walked around worrying about being hit by cars or struck by lightning or having miscarriages, you know, would be miserable. So it's probably just our, our natural way of being. Um, but yeah, I had never thought that that I would be someone who would experience a miscarriage. So carry on. So you've got you've got your your positive test and you went back to kind of that that really surreal existence of knowing that you have this secret that um that only you and your husband or your fiance at this point know about. And and what happened next? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, really special secret. So we both agreed that we would love to share the news with close friends and family. Um, I know a lot of people choose to wait until they have the first scan. Um, and I think there's no right or wrong thing to do. Um, I think for us, we just thought it would be cool to share the news and create um, a little support group. 
But the thing was, I, we were so in shock and I felt amazing. I had no symptoms. I was so happy, was really chuffed. I had loads of energy. So I didn't feel pregnant and that really affected my mentality. I didn't feel able to tell anyone that I was pregnant because I was still processing it myself. So we were just in the really early days, but in, in our sort of plans for the future we were thinking okay well first things first we need to sort out our living situation and find a bigger flat or somewhere where I always say to Adam my husband like when we choose our next house or home we need to look at the rental market as if where would I feel safe giving birth or where would I feel comfortable giving birth so that that was what we were doing um so we actually told our landlord that I was pregnant it's funny, I laugh at it now. Sometimes it's easier to tell a stranger, but we also had ulterior motives. We were hoping that he, we could manipulate our way out of the contract sooner so that we could, could have this home for starting our family. Um, so anyways, we told our landlord. Um, I went back to work as usual. I was working on the antenatal ward. I was doing a set of four night shifts. Um, I think I'd done one night shift already and I woke up from sleeping during the day and I started to, it was less than two weeks later after finding out that we were pregnant. So it was just less than eight weeks. Started to experience just mild back pain, um, you know, even more like not as severe as when I have my period. I usually have quite severe symptoms. So it was really, really mild. And I had some brown spotting. Um, and I knew that this is fine. Like this can be normal. You can experience cramps. You can experience some light spotting. But at that point, there were no alarm bells and I didn't have any concerns. I just um, told my partner about it um, and then went to work as usual. And it was whilst I was at work, that I started to experience fresh red um, bleeding. Again, really mild in terms, it wasn't a heavy bleed. Um, it was lighter than even a period, but it was potty. And I remember just sitting on the toilet and watching myself pass these clots and just feeling like I was losing control, like this loss of control of my body and there's nothing that I could do to stop it. And my impression straight away was, I think I'm having a miscarriage. But I never said those words out loud because there's always a part of you that's hoping. Mm -hmm. that even, even with my midwifery experience um, and taking triage calls from women and people experience the same thing, I was still, I don't know, holding on to some hope. Um, so I called the, um, the early pregnancy assessment unit to try and book in a scan. Um, and they said that I would, I couldn't self-refer. I would need to call my GP and that they would refer me, which seems like a, a silly barrier to put up because women know what their bodies are experiencing and you don't need to tell a doctor just so a doctor can tell them the same thing. It's that hierarchy that, you know, barriers are put in place in front of women, um, so anyways, the, the GP, um, booked me in a scan for the following day and I don't know why, but I still went to work that night and as part of my job on the, on the night shift as part of the midwives role, when we're, um, settling everyone in for bed at night, we listen to the baby's heart rates and we 
you know, ensure that babies are well and we reassure the mums um, and the pregnant people if they're worried about their babies, we can do that and give them reassurance. So I was just in this state of numbness where I was listening to babies' heart rates and reassuring other mothers, but I was currently bleeding and in, in the knowledge that I was having a miscarriage. Um, so I had my scan the next day, um, which it's such a vulnerable experience. And you would think that at certain points of the process, like you said, Bex, that my experience or knowledge as a midwife would help me. But at that point, I just felt like a vulnerable woman. I didn't feel like I had um, any authority or knowledge about above the average average person you know they put you in that uncomfortable chair and you're tipped upside down almost and your world feels like it's being tipped upside down and the vaginal probe is really invasive um and it, it was quite quick um for her to just say that you know i can see that there's no pregnancy here um i'm sorry and that was her impression when um, I explained my history about having fresh bleed, having fresh fresh bleeds and passing clots as well. Um, so she was, you know, you, you appreciate the honesty, but I don't know. You just hope that they would say everything's absolutely fine. You know, there's a clot behind the placenta or I, I don't know what, just just something, but not not the ultimate truth, which was that there's no pregnancy anymore. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of the end of the experience with the healthcare system. So it was pretty straightforward for me. Um, the bleeding lasted a few days. I didn't have any issues or pain after that point. So from like a medical experience, it wasn't traumatic um, in the way that some people do have really, really traumatic experiences. Um, I called in sick to work at that point and they were really understanding. They said, just take wh whatever time that you need. Um, and in a few days time, we had planned to go down to Devon with um, some of our best childhood friends. Um, and Adam said to me, you know, are you sure you want to go? And I said, oh, yes, because it'll be therapeutic and nice to see friends and get a bit of support. So you were in the UK when all this happened? Yes, yeah. So we've just, we're in Zimbabwe now because um, I this is where I'm from. Originally, I was born here, lived my life here, and then we're living in the UK um, up until recently. We're in the middle of moving to New Zealand. You are, you're moving to New Zealand. That's the next step. <laughs> yes. I know so it's not a yeah co confusing not straightforward um but yeah that's where we are now so I'm calling you from Zimbabwe which is a much nicer time zone relative to the UK compared to if we did this after we moved to New Zealand it would be like one or two o'clock in the morning sure um, <laughs> so, you, so you, yes, we you decided to go on the trip to Devon and did you at this point had you told your friends what had been going on we hadn't told anyone. Um, I felt like that was even harder to do, I expect, than having said, having shared the news, I'm pregnant. It felt even harder to say, I was pregnant, but now I'm not because I had a miscarriage. It then felt not so simple to share anymore. And I think 
I was still processing and I thought that those conversations would just come naturally to the surface. So we went on this trip with our friends um, and no one in our friend group really had had any kids at that point. It wasn't like some people who have got lots of friends who are pregnant or having babies all around them. But we go to this gathering with our friends um, and we're all excited. We put up our tents, everyone's arrived. Um, we're getting ready to make a toast. And one of my best childhood friends announces that they were pregnant. Are you gonna say that? I'm so sorry, that is terrible. I could just, I just knew that's what you were gonna say. It's fucking awful. Oh. Adam was standing next to me and he started to put his hand out to comfort me. And I just immediately, I was like, you know, when you're upset and if someone were to touch you or hug you or even look at you, you just think you're going to fall into a million tiny little shards of glass. So I just said, don't touch me because you, I just felt like I got the wind kicked out of me. Like it, grief is such a physical experience. Um, I, yeah. And, and they were so happy and their news was beautiful and you want to be happy for them and you don't want to take away that moment of celebrating their news. So of course it was not, it was then never an appropriate time to say, this is what's happened to me. This is my story when they just announced their news. Um, so, and it was sad because I was looking forward to seeing them, um, seeing all our friends. My sister was going to be there as well. Um, my best childhood friends um, were all really close. So it was also going to be an opportunity for me to share my news with them. But instead, I was sharing no news and then going through this isolated experience and climbing into our tent at night and just crying because I, I said to Adam, I said, I feel like the whole world is just going going on around me as if everything's normal and it's not socially acceptable in this situation to talk about what I'm going through. Mm. So I so I didn't, but I felt like I was the only one, yeah, just in, in your own little world. What about, so your sister was there. Could you, did you share it with her at any point? I didn't share it with her. Um, I shared it with her after, after that weekend, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I felt like it was difficult to share. It was going to be difficult to share with my sister because um, of the relationship that her and my husband have. So I was worried how she would feel about us having a baby and starting a family. Um, and I think it's tough for, for, for any siblings or sisters to find out you know, that's, when, that's a new, that adds a new complicated dynamic to the yeah. whole. Yeah. Doesn't it? It does. And did your sister, when you did tell her afterwards, did she sort of retrospectively understand the gravitas of the grief that you were going through at that time, do you think? Yeah, she said, you think you're doing a good job at hiding it, hey? But then after, after when I shared the news with her, she said, oh, that makes so much sense just because of the way that I was like really quite withdrawn, not engaging very much. And she said, I was kind of off with, with Adam a lot, just the two of us and not really getting very involved in what everyone else was up to, um, which, which is true. But I suppose for me at that time, that was my safe space. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when I told my sister, she 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 appreciated that that makes sense, and she said that she was she was sorry, and you know she showed empathy. Um, but what I found difficult is because of the relationship that she has with Adam. What she did say is she felt like we were moving too quickly. And that for me, at the time, I was I was really upset. I just thought I don't even have any energy to be having these conversations. But looking back on it, that felt like um, almost like not that she was grateful that I had a miscarriage, but that it was sort of a near miss because you're moving forwards in your life too quickly. And actually, maybe you should slow down and think about it. Right. Um, yeah and I did towards the end of the weekend I did tell um the best friends I keep talking about they're twins so that's why there's there's two of them and two scenarios so it was the boy um who was pregnant with his fiance or she was pregnant um and then my other best friend the girl towards the end of the weekend she had said to me would you think about starting a family? So I thought, well, this this is the, the opportunity. I should talk about it. Um, and I said, well, we would love to start a family, but I've just had a miscarriage. Um, and she's, she's my oldest friend and I love her to bits. Um, and no one tries to hurt you. But what she did say was, at least you know that you can get pregnant. And I was a bit like, I didn't say it out loud to her, but you feel like, well, no, I, that's not, that doesn't ma actually make sense because yes, I got pregnant, but I didn't maintain the pregnancy. You know, I lost the pregnancy. So actually it's not reassuring at all because my body couldn't and didn't do it. Um, and it really, it really affects and affected my confidence in my body. Mm -hmm low self-esteem, low body confidence, um, really affected things like sex and intimacy, just completely, yeah, I just was very unhappy with my body. I know that having a baby and starting a family is not a woman's only role, um, but anatomically speaking, I felt like this is how my body was designed to work, and it didn't and it can't or couldn't or it's it's hard to think oh it'll be fine next time because the reality and that statistic is you know ever, ever more realistic yeah I think that's um you know when you say anatomically like we are designed to have children I think that's so such a huge like societal pressure that we've always lived with as women because mm -hmm. historically you know women had children and and men worked and that's the narrative that we need to change and that's the narrative I believe is slowly changing but we are as women left with this innate kind of belief that that is what our body's purpose is to have children and I think that that goes so so much deeper than any any of the narratives that are now hopefully it will change in years and years to come and yeah, that's what will be. But but I think as women, particularly ones who have grown up with the whole Disney narrative, you know, mm -hmm. that's what we assume that our that our position is. So 
lots and lots of women we speak to have this kind of overriding sense that their body has failed them it's like the one thing that I was supposed to do the one thing that my body was supposed to do and I've messed it up and you you internalize that and you take it so so personally I know you did didn't you Laura yeah it's like the ultimate failure it's like it's Um, it's something that should be so natural I can't even be a woman that's that's the kind of overriding sense of what we hear from our ladies when they've when they've struggled with loss it's that it's that it's that real kind of um I can't remember the right word but like a a negative on your on your womanhood so the warriorship we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it didn't we Bex and in case you're already going why we don't want to know about a fucking ship the warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community it's packed full of stuff so we just want to tell you about some of the stuff all of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the warriorship so there's loads to get your teeth into and we are also developing modules for what happens after but not only that we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too we love to see you there yeah and it's that that same culture of you know blame you know mom guilt and all of those things are connected like you say from societal pressures and the history and the places that we've come from and we will grow and change and I think we will break down those barriers and you guys are a huge part of that movement but it's amazing that in (laughs) we find ourselves in these situations where we revert right back to that and even afterwards, I ended up going on the pill, not because I wanted to be on contraception, because I'd been on the pill before and it stopped my periods. And I just wanted my periods to stop. Not, you know, I was really angry with my body whenever I got a period, not because I wanted to be pregnant again, but because I was just so pissed off that it was like a slap in the face, like, oh, okay, you can get pregnant but not stay pregnant, but then I can see you're going to cycle and I can see that I'm ovulating again and I'm and I'm having periods. It just felt like such a slap in the face and I just needed it to stop. And that was a year after the miscarriage. Um, so just just things like small things like that, that you don't realize that are that are going to be uh, triggers. Mm. I think the trigger, lots of women talk about the return of their period following miscarriage as being that. A, that confirmation that they're definitely not pregnant, you know, seeing that, seeing that period and knowing that your body's, it's like saying goodbye to your baby again, isn't it? And seeing your body sort of resetting and you're getting a cycle again is like that part of my life is over. My baby is gone and and my body, even my body is kind of getting over it or moving forward, as we like to say. But also the second thing is it, it is incredibly triggering when you experience that blood loss from, you know, f- through your period. And the last mm. time you had that blood loss was when you lost your baby. I think it can be traumatic on a number of levels just to have that that first period or, or even subsequent periods after that. Lots and lots of women find that incredibly difficult to 
to cope with and manage and get their heads around. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I suppose that's what's important, but important about having the conversation is that you feel like you're not isolated and alone. And it took me a long time to reach out and and go to a support group or to find you guys and start getting support through other means mm. before it was just me and Adam. And I think, of course, partners experience their own kind of loss, but their body doesn't go through that same experience. Um, so, you know, it's, it's completely different and they... Well, at least in my situation, I felt like he couldn't completely relate to what I was going through. And that's why your podcast is amazing also for partners, because it's an insight into how their partners are feeling and the experiences that they're going through. And it's and it's validation and you're feeling feeling heard without, you know, it's it's giving words to a conversation that we don't have the words for sometimes. But if they can listen to those conversations, um but I mean, after after the miscarriage and when I went back to work, again, I regret this. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I went back to work straight away. I didn't take any other sick days off. Um, and I had a return to work meeting. And my manager, who is a midwife, also a very experienced midwife, um, she's been a midwife for, I think, at least 20 years and we sat down for the return to work. She knew that I had had a miscarriage and she spent the entire meeting talking about how easy it was for her. She was saying, don't worry, you know, you'll get pregnant again. The right time will come. And then she she proceeded to talk about how easy it was for her to get pregnant with her two babies and literally told me, you know, we conceived on, um, we said, let's start trying. And then we conceived straight away. And then these the kind of births that I had and I just sat there kind of like you know smile and wave boys because I just thought what what you know first of all I'm looking after mums and babies on the postnatal ward that I need to get back to this meeting's supposed to be about me and if I'm ready to come back to work and she was talking about her experiences which were really insensitive to someone who's just had a miscarriage so I think my message for that is just because someone is a midwife or a healthcare professional, don't assume that they know better than you or know better than you what you need. There is unfortunately this really awful hierarchy system, not only in the NHS, all over the world where women and people and families are being let down and not being honoured. So just trust that you you know what you need. And it's unfortunate that it's up to vulnerable women to educate healthcare professionals. Um, but that's where we're at. Um, it's, uh, I think uh, I found, personally, I found, and I know that speaking to a lot of women through the worst girl gang ever, um, it, and this is generalizing, but um, a lot of the old school midwives and old school professionals mm -hmm. you know the people that have, have been doing the job for a long time tend to be a little insensitive or a mm -hmm. lot insensitive and definitely we've spoken to people who sonographers have said the most invalidating things and that I think that just reflects what we were talking about before of the historical nature of the fact that loss wasn't considered loss it wasn't considered something worthy of grief um, which you know, perpetuates the feeling, feelings of shame and the feelings that, that 
you shouldn't be feeling a certain way and you shouldn't, you know, we, we don't know what we're going to feel. We don't know how we're going to feel. And grief is such a tricky fucker in that some days you feel okay. And some days you don't, but this idea that we should be feeling some way puts that added pressure on us. And when we don't feel that way, we feel like we've let ourselves down again. And it's just, it's such a painful and confusing space to be in, isn't it? And it must, that must've been exacerbated in so many different levels for you having to work within that, um, you know, with, with pregnant and ladies and ladies giving birth, it must've been so impossibly hard for you. And I was going to ask you when you, when you said you went back to work, do you think if you had a specific miscarriage policy, you would have felt more able to take time off instead of taking yeah. it as sick days? Yeah, definitely. Because you know, the NHS is so hard pushed and you, you're so short staffed. So whenever I'm sick or whenever I'm considering, okay, am I sick enough to call in sick to work though? Because you're not just thinking about what well, are they gonna be enough midwives to look after all the people who need care. You're also thinking about your colleagues, like what is, we all know what it's like to be on such a busy shift and it's it's really difficult. So you, you feel this sense of duty to your colleagues, but also to the healthcare system that's providing care um, to, to women and families. So I put pressure on myself, but also I was in a state of uh, not listening to my needs. I was doing the strong woman thing where it was like, get on with it, go to work and work. work. I, I see what you mean when you say it must have been really difficult to be around pregnant moms and babies. And it was, but it was also extremely beautiful and empowering because you see how much love there is and you see how much people love each other and love their babies. And that is, it's really cathartic. Um, so that's probably a different different perspective that you would think it would be more traumatic than anything. Um, but it, I guess yeah. it makes a sense of, a sense of hope possibly. Um, but to answer your question, Bex, yes, if there was a miscarriage policy and I felt honoured and supported to take more time, then then I definitely would have. But Because otherwise they leave it up to you, but you've got all these other things going through your head. You don't want to leave your colleagues, you know, really busy and you don't want to ditch any women and families. So it's just not a, an easy decision to make to stay at home. Do you think by jumping back onto work um, and also probably going away for that weekend that you didn't allow yourself time to to process everything that was going on? And if so, did it, did it come back and bite you in the bum later on? Have you had to take any more sick days or anything like that since then? Yeah, um, it definitely did come back and bite me in the bum. I never took um, any sick days but it just um, came to the surface in other places, like in our relationship, um, in intimacy, um, you know, random moments of feeling triggered or having certain experience that you think this seems so far removed from the experience of the miscarriage. How could it be related? But when you pick it apart, feeling like that's, that feeling stems all the way from that. Yes, it was a few months ago, but everything's connected. So I think trying to allow myself to have that instinct um yeah eventually everything bub bubbled up to the surface and it was so the miscarriage was in the beginning of July and I finally went to a support group 
in the November or the December um, with Miscarriage Association. But what had been happening in the meantime is I, I had the miscarriage and then my um, husband started having um, anxiety and panic attacks. Um, and then there was that big storm at the end of November and it took the roof off of the property that we were renting. So then we were in temporary accommodation. So all of these things were happening and it just started to feel like for a change, I just need someone to look after me. Like I go to work and look after people. I come home and I reassure my husband when he's having a panic attack. And, you know, women are strong and we do so much and go through so much. But it's also strong to say, actually, I need something else or I, I need to do something about the way that I feel. And I remember resenting him when he was having panic attacks. I didn't I was not available emotionally to comfort him because I was I was just thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm getting on with it. And I, that's not the right approach to have towards mental health. I know it's not something you can just get on with. But I remember just feeling like no one's looking after me and I'm doing all the looking after. So that was when Laura, everything kind of started to um, bubble to the surface. And we went to, I said to Adam, I said, I think I need to go to a support group. My friends had been great. They had been checking in on me regularly. Um, you know, we, how are you? I hope you're okay. And whenever they asked, I was always fine. So I thought I was fine, but then other times I really wasn't fine. It was like, you know, great and then not great like really high highs and really low lows um so we went to the support group and um i spoke first because this was in this uh, again zoom support group um i spoke first because everyone else was quiet and you know first on the dance floor so i was the first also speaking um and i and i told my story you know really straightforward miscarriage um this is what i'm struggling with and I spoke about being a midwife because it's part of who I am. It's part of my story. To me, it's relevant. And then everyone else after me spoke about a traumatic experience that they had had. And it involved, you know, a midwife or a healthcare professional or an experience with the healthcare system where they didn't feel safe and they didn't feel listened to. And I felt like I had, you know, I was on two sides where I'm a woman also who had a miscarriage, but I'm also a midwife and I, you know, I'm on both, um, not teams, but it felt like there were two sides and I wanted to be, I want, I want to be both, but also all these, these women and families had really traumatic experiences that I felt like that, that support group wasn't a safe space anymore. And it's nothing personal against the charity or the people who were there. Um, but I thought it doesn't feel safe for me to express myself because I am I am a part of the healthcare system. And then I also thought, well, have I done the women here a disservice? Because they maybe don't feel safe either to express wholeheartedly how they feel because they know that I'm a midwife and I work in the NHS. So I, I only went to one support group, but it did it did really help talking through things and feeling valid, validated in some of the experiences. 
um, that I was having and things that were affecting Adam and I's relationship. So it did still definitely help. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you guys know about any specific support groups for anyone who's listening that are catered to healthcare professionals um, or, you know, podcasts or Instagram pages. It's... No, I don't actually. <clears throat> We um we do it's interesting actually we do have a lot of midwives, social workers, teachers um that come on our courses and as part of our membership. We've always had that, haven't we? And we've always yeah. like strange that not strange, but it's it's been a constant thing that that the people who come to us are majority of them people who support other people. Yeah, I think, think, Michelle, as you were saying a moment ago, I think when you have a career and a job whereby you support others, you don't, and we were talking about this on a call last night, weren't we, Laura? You're giving everything that you have to support others and you're overlooking the fact that you need that support. And when you said just now, I really resonated with that when you said, I just wanted someone to look after me because Mm. that's need and if we're not doing that for ourselves like technically we probably don't need someone else to look after us from the outside what we need to do is is learn to look after ourselves by ourselves and I think that is what another thing that society history has has suggested is that as women we are caregivers and that is our role and that is what we do but we forget that actually in order to do that effectively and protect with protecting ourselves we need to look after ourselves first and that can be basic basic fundamental things like making sure that we're eating making sure that we're sleeping making sure that we're getting outside making sure that we have connection with other people and when you start to put in place all these things that are really really basic level self-care we then become more resilient we become more able to give um but i think that we have lots of people coming through our doors who who have those caring professions because they they're giving everything and then they're having breakdowns in perhaps other areas of their life because they can't they can't go on anymore they've run out they don't have anything else to give and and therefore areas like relationships like intimacy like you know emotional mental health are breaking down because they don't have that strength and that resilience because they haven't been feeding themselves and nourishing themselves and I think that's that's a really interesting thing. If if you're listening and you are and you are feeling like you've run out, like it's time to focus on you. And that doesn't mean big showy spa days and spending loads of money. It means going back to basics and being kind to yourself, speaking to yourself in a kind way, putting yourself to bed early, watching things just for the sake of watching things, not you know, just just those those really basic levels of, of self-care that we so often overlook. Michelle, I wanted to yeah. ask about your your friend that announced her pregnancy on the the camping trip. How has that panned out? How's your relationship with them? Um, we still have a close relationship, but it was really difficult. While she was pregnant, it was hard to see her pregnant, especially when she started to get a bump. Um, I mean, we were living up in Newcastle and they were living in London, so... We saw them when they announced the pregnancy and then the next time we saw them, she had a lovely bump. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, like, I'm supposed to have a bump. I'm supposed to have that. And then when the baby was born, it was like, my baby would also nearly be due. And um, things like they were getting married um, the following year. And I 
when I found out I was pregnant, I worked out my due date and it was like, okay, so at their wedding, I'm going to have a baby that's a few months old. So when I saw, I associated my loss with their gain. Yeah. And it's really hard when these are people that you love because I experienced these really ugly feelings of jealousy. I was, I was jealous and that's, it's a not, it's not a nice emotion to feel. Um, and when their baby was born, it was, I was kind of putting off meeting the baby, not, um, not actively, but in my head, I wasn't trying to plan to get down to London to meet him as soon as possible. So eventually when we did get down and meet him, meet him, you know, they're my friends. I love them. I love meeting him. You know, I love, I love him as a baby. It's not to say that that love isn't there, but there is also loss. And I remember going upstairs to the bedroom and just sitting on the bed and just breathing. Like, it's okay. Like, what you feel is normal. It's okay. Like, just trying to placate myself and calm myself down. Um, so it was, it was really hard for that first year. Um, and, and Adam had said to me, well, should we try? Should we have a baby? And I had said, well, no, because I don't want a new baby. I want the baby that we lost. It wasn't a case of a replacement. You know, I know we, we could try any time, but I didn't want a replacement. So our lives took a completely different turn. Um, we left our jobs in the UK. We got married and we packed our bags and we spent the last year traveling in Africa uh, you know, the kind of selfish trip that I probably wouldn't have done with kids. So it has created this, you know, beautiful opportunity. We've jumped out the window and we've had an amazing adventure and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I wouldn't unwrite the past. I wouldn't unwrite the fact that I had a miscarriage. But now that we're moving to New Zealand and we're going to settle down, that all comes to the surface. Because when you think about starting a family, I'm I'm a bit like oh it would just be much easier to just get knocked up and it just be a surprise because when you think about it just the anxiety that comes and you know that two week wait between ovulation and taking a pregnancy test is just a form of torture really mm. it's hard the whole two week wait oh yeah. right torture so when do you go when when do you leave for New Zealand um, in the new year, we think we've we've been waiting in New Zealand, Zimbabwe, with our family whilst um, they were processing our visas, which have finally come through. Father Christmas came early for us, so we've got our visas this week, and we are looking at flights. And hopefully, we'll be in New Zealand in the new year. Um, I have a job as a midwife there, also, and um, neither of us have ever visited New Zealand before, so it's a bit of a gamble, but I am looking forward mm. to working within the New Zealand model of care. They're supposed to have a really beautiful model that, you know, it seems like it honours women and family much more. They've got, um, it's built around continuity of carer. Um, so I'm just looking forward to hopefully a better staff system that is honouring the people that it cares for. Um, and not to say that that's... You know, the people working in the NHS, I don't mean that that's not what they're doing, but I just think we need to change. Um, yeah, we need to change. We, don't need to do that. we all know what the state of the NHS is. <laughs> yeah. Whereabouts are you moving to? Pardon? Whereabouts are you moving to? Um, so in the South Island, it's a town called Dunedin. 
We've been told it's like we're basically moving to Scotland because that's what the weather is like. Yeah, there is a colony of penguins. <laughs> I've been to Dunedin. I, I lived in Christchurch for a while. And, oh, did you? Uh, it's one of my favourite places. You'll love it. Oh, what were you I doing when I, you visited? Uh, I I ended up working in New Zealand, uh, stopping in New Zealand because I, I was travelling and I ran out of money in Southeast Asia and I couldn't afford to get home but I could afford to get to New Zealand. Um, and so I just walked up there and got a working holiday visa and I ended up there for a year. Oh, nice. I like the way you think. Ended up going even further away from the UK, though. Yeah. I was a nanny and I worked in a call centre for Save the Children. I was a children's entertainer, Dipsy Mary, the Irish fairy. Um, oh, my God. I, I did all sorts. I forget how, like how varied your CV is sometimes yeah. oh mate yeah I've been to um I travel around South Island as well and it's just it's like nowhere else that I've been it's incredible you're gonna have such an amazing time we can't wait that's what everyone said it's like chocolate box beautiful like every time you go around a corner it's like another scenery and like another mountain oh it's another lake like it's really beautiful so mm. yeah we're looking forward to it well Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle, and we wish you so much love and luck in your future travels and obviously your future fertility journey. And do do keep in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear how you're getting on once you settle down. And uh, yeah, just sending you all the love. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Sending you all the love back. Happy holidays. Hope you have some weeks off over the holidays to look after yourselves. Yes. Let's try. not be hypocrites and let's not be hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> let's set the boundaries. Yeah. All right. All the best. Take care of yourself. Enjoy New Zealand and um, hopefully we'll chat to you soon. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.